Well, hello, friends. Welcome here. My name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge, and I'm a parent of two teenagers. So today, I want to talk to you about parenting during a pandemic. So even if you're not a parent uh, of children at home, you'll want to stick with us because there are some principles that we're going to explore together that have application for all of us. So let's dive in, shall we? On April 21st, about a month or so after shelter-in-place orders were given, Farhad Manju, who is an opinion columnist for the New York Times, posted a photo to Twitter. In typical childish handwriting, his seven- and his nine-year-old kids presented he and his wife with their list of demands. The note reads as follows, quote, We would like to have some power in this house. Example, control bedtime, how long our walks are, where we get to watch TV. If you do not sign, we will declare war on the parents. <laughs> the post was liked almost 60,000 times and commented on by almost 8,000 people. And so Manju wrote about it in an op-ed piece in the New York Times the following day. And he said this, quote, Attempting to work full-time while rooming with, feeding, and educating one or more children during the pandemic is not going well. Not for me, and not for most people that I know. Though we are embarrassingly, in, embarrassingly indulgent of self-care, neither of us feels as if we're doing anything other than failing at everything every day. Friends, parenting is hard at the best of times. And these are not really the best of times. And so here at Jericho, we wanted to check in with you on this Father's Day weekend and ask, how are you really? Because whether you're a teacher, whether you're a parent, whether you are parenting children of whatever ages, or you have people around you who are parenting children, there's a sense of exhaustion that I'm finding has settled in. At the start of COVID-19, it was almost kind of fun. We were all together, we were sleeping in, then we moved through a let's be productive phase. And then we went through an apathy phase. All oh, the kids are kind of in charge of themselves. And now after a few months, our nerves and our emotions are raw and they're near the surface a lot of the times. And there's a sense that we're going into the summer and there's no relief in sight. Activities are canceled. Holiday plans are up in the air. We're not yet sure what anything like a new normal will look like. And so even in ordinary times, as a parent, I, experiencing, I experience stress about raising children. I wrestle with questions like, am I doing this right? How will the decisions that I'm making or we're making impact how my kids turn out? But during a time of higher stress, I'm finding that I actually have to readjust my expectations to some new goals. Stay married, survive, keep the kids from running away from home and eat more than ice cream for dinner. You make your own goals, whatever they are, and you might wanna post them in the chat. But parenting is hard at the best of times, friends, and these are not the best of times. So. I want you to give yourself some grace if you feel like you're not knocking it out of this park in this season as a parent. 
And today I'm going to invite you to join me and we're going to look into the Bible as a source of both inspiration and instruction. Now, the Bible isn't really necessarily a how-to book on parenting, but there are moments in it. There are concise instructions given to both children and parents to help both parties not just survive, but thrive. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 4 in the New Living Translation. The words will come up on the screen. And uh, the first set of instructions is to children. Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise. And if you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. See, in the first century world into which this instruction was originally written, parents had unchecked and ultimate authority. Children were seen in that, in that culture as unhelpful distractions and burdens uh, until they moved into adulthood and became contributing members of society. And so naturally, children chafe against this kind of unilateral, because I said so, authority. And that may be why some of us experience this type of instruction being weaponized against us growing up. We may bristle at this kind of what looks like request for unquestioning obedience. And that's why it's important to note that phrase, because you belong to the Lord. In other words, there is a reminder to all of us that children are image bearers of the Creator. And so like all image bearers, regardless of their age or the color of their skin, they are to be treated with dignity and respect and encouragement. And there are no exceptions to this rule. You can remember a few years ago that uh, weeks ago, I said that all of God's invitation and instructions are ultimately for our benefit and for our good. And this is a perfect example of this principle. Children who walk not with a hollow sense of duty bound obedience, but a sense of willingness, a desire to honor their parental units. There is a promise built into this, and it's a big one. The text says that it will go well with you and that you will have a long life here on the earth. I can remember uh, as a child growing up in northern BC and we would drive down occasionally uh, to the coast to visit my great grandmother. And she lived in Guilford in Surrey. So we knew we were getting close to her house when uh, we saw the large flag on 104th. And my great grandma Nan lived to be over a hundred years of age. And I can remember one time working up the courage to ask her what I see now as an impertinent question. I said, great grandma, how did you get to be so old? But I can remember her answer so clearly to this day. She bent down toward me and she raised her bony finger and pointed it right in my face and said, young man, I obeyed my parents. See, she understood the principle of Ephesians chapter 6. And this was living proof to me of the faithfulness of God 
to that promise. And so I've tried to live into that, not always perfectly in my life, either as a child or as a parent, and certainly not in every season of my life. But now that I'm a parent, I understand in an even more significant way the challenges and responsibilities that come with that role. And parents, if you want your children to honor you, you have to live a life that is worthy of respect and honor. It's one of the challenges and the great responsibilities of being a parent. And that's really where the text goes next in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 6. Let's keep reading. It says, fathers or parents, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. So the first admonition there is actually a negative one, something to be avoided. Do not provoke. So you provoke someone when you do things like assign them unreasonable blame. Maybe you find yourself in a foul mood and you make it their fault, even though it isn't correlated to their actions in any way. You provoke someone when there's an unevenness in your temper. If you're angry and boiling over with rage one minute and just sweet the next, the unevenness of a child's experience with you as a parent can provide a real challenge. Or maybe you provoke them by creating inconsistent standards. If you're Children don't know what's expected of them, or if the expectations, the goalposts are always shifting, changing, or they feel like they're out of reach beyond the realm of possibility. It's a very real problem that settles into that relationship, and it's named for us. That problem or the result of that kind of provocation is anger. See, as human beings, when we don't understand the why behind the what, when it comes to the instructions that we're being given, often the result is fear and anger and resentment. When we feel unheard, unloved, unrepresented or underrepresented, and now, friends, we're not just talking about kids and parents, but we're talking about issues like Black Lives Matter or issues of injustice against our indigenous sisters and brothers in the Kwantlen Nation, the Katsi people or the Semiamu First Nation and many others across our country. Now we're talking about injustice against persons of Asian or South Asian descent who are singled out simply because of the color of their skin. There is an anger there, which has a long history of provocation, because anger comes often from the way that we have been treated. And some of you have grown up with that kind of hurt in your lives. You have an anger toward others that's seething just below the surface, and there's frustration and hurt that's built into resentment, and over time, resentment has grown into anger. And one thing I want to say to you is that the next generation is watching to see how you deal with that. Novelist Alan Payton notes that great anger is often rooted in or connected with great love because we get angry when someone or something we care about is hurt or threatened. And the fiercer the anger, 
the greater the good at stake, sometimes the more intense our anger can become. And this is why anger can take hold in family systems or in parent-child or child-parent relationships. And so parents, in this season, I would encourage you to pay attention to your anger. We're going to talk in two weeks about how we handle complex emotions in the season that we're in. And so we'll have more to say about it then, and I hope you'll be with us. But the second instruction really is not something to be avoided, but something to be embraced. It's a positive one. The role of parents, the role of mothers and fathers is not just not to get angry, but is to bring up children, to raise children in the text says the discipline and instruction that come from the Lord. And the concept here has to do with nurture, with helping others flourish and become whole in every way. And so effective nurture happens when two things are in place. First of all, discipline and correction, keeping you off of the wrong path. And the second thing is training which is guidance, setting you on the right path. And all of us needed and need these kinds of impulses and supports in our lives. All of us at certain times need corrective nurture, people around us to tell us when and where we're off base or where we're falling into patterns of thinking or living that will harm ourselves or the environment or others. And we also need people around us not just who can tell us what not to do or the wrong that we're doing, but we need people around us who can model and show us what to do. We need people who can encourage us. And this is kind of one of my pet peeves about churches and pastors and Father's Day. And you may have heard me talk about this before, but on Mother's Day, the usual fare is to laud and to lift up mothers and mothering as a valuable and godly instinct and action. And on Father's Day, usually the pastor rails against what a bunch of losers dads are and how they need to get their act together. But fathers of Jericho, and if you're listening, I want you to hear today that I know many of you, I see many of you trying hard. And I know both from personal experience and from conversations that it's complicated and how hard it is to be a dad in today's world. And I know how much pushback there is. And I know how some of you have not had the benefits of good modeling. But I also want you to know that I watch you and I think that many of you are doing an admirable job. You are, by the strength and the grace that God has given you, trying to find that complex balance between correction and guidance. You're working to find places and things to encourage your children in, whether they're age 2 or age 22 or age 62. And so one thing I want to say to you this Father's Day is that this is hard work in the best of times, and we're not living in the best of times. And so I want you to give yourself and those around you some grace. If you're a kid, know that your parents have never parented through a global pandemic before. And so we are learning how to do this for the first time. We need grace. Parents, 
It can be easy to be provoked or to provoke others in this season, but the way that we treat each other matters and the way that we live our lives matters. And so dads in particular on this Father's Day, I want you to take up and think about one or two practical ways that you could nurture your kids well in this season. How would you nurture them spiritually? How could you go about nurturing them emotionally, nurturing and challenging them intellectually? This is the time to step in to that place. Maybe start a new habit. Uh, I know in our home, one thing we do is a weekly breakfast date together, just touching base and seeing how things are going. And no, you won't be able to meet their demands or their expectations or needs all of the time. That's what our Heavenly Father is for. And yes, you will fall short sometimes, but that is normal, not just in this season, but in any season and all seasons of life. And as a church, we're learning how to support all of you in new ways as well. If you're a parent of a young child, you will have already received a summer packet from Pastor Jenna. And it's filled with activities and steps you can take to nurture your child's faith and development as a follower of Jesus in this season. And if you need extra support in that, I want you to just reach out to us and don't hesitate to be in touch. If you're a parent of a child that's a little bit older and you want to reach out and ask for more help and support, go to jerichoridge.com connect and fill out your details in the connection card and indicate that you would like uh, some support. One thing we're doing is I want to get you a copy of a book that you might put on your summer reading list. It's a book by Jim Burns and I read it a couple years ago. It's called Confident Parenting and we have multiple copies that we have acquired that we want to give to you and in it there's so many helpful topics like uh, finding replenishment as a parent, overcoming negative family patterns, how to create a grace-filled home. And so if you go onto the website and fill out a connect card now, we'll make sure that we get this book to you. And I also want to remind you that we would love to pray with you. Some of you as parents might feel like you're failing or like you're at the end of your rope and you just need someone to listen to you and encourage you. And you can do that. You can email us at prayer at jerichoridge.com or you can phone the prayer line right now at 604-629-7805. On Sunday mornings, our pastoral team is here live to engage with you. You can request prayer in the chat if you're watching on the live stream. And outside of that time, we'll be back in touch with you quickly. Friends, I want to pray with you as we come and conclude this portion of our time together. God, our Father, we give you thanks and praise for fathers, young and old. We pray for young fathers, newly embracing their vocation. May they find courage and perseverance to balance work and family and faith in joy and in sacrifice. We pray for fathers around the world whose children are lost or are suffering. May they know that the God of compassion walks with them in their sorrow. We pray for men who are not fathers, but who still take up the mantle and are mentors and guides with fatherly love and with advice to many around them. And we remember fathers and grandfathers and great grandfathers who are no longer with us, but who live forever 
in our memory and who have nourished us with their love. We ask Jesus for grace and for strength to parent in the season in which we find ourselves in. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, we pray. Amen.